Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Following the Colorado Supreme Court decision that repealing Tabor is a single subject and Colorado ballot initiative number three can move forward with the title board, shareholder Sarah Mercer and associate David Meshke break down the decision and discuss what happens next for this much-watched initiative. Hey, David. Hi, Sarah. So we're here at Brownstein in one of our conference rooms, and this is basically as close to an emergency podcast as you can get. That's right. Uh, about a month ago, we, we had a podcast that talked about the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, or TABOR, as it's known here in Colorado. And uh, we were waiting on a Colorado Supreme Court decision. And uh, exactly a month later, the court released its opinion. And it was about uh, a couple hours ago. So we got breaking news out of uh, state Supreme Court jurisprudence here. And I think maybe we should just remind our listeners, we can start off by explaining a little bit about what TABOR is, because as you said, this ballot measure that we talked about in our previous podcast has to do with repealing this provision of the Colorado Constitution called TABOR, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. And what TABOR does is it does two primary things, among many things, which we're going to talk a little bit about because it played into the court's dissenting decision today. Uh, But those two things are, one, it prevents any legislative body in the state, including not only our state legislature, but also local governments, from raising any taxes or additional revenues without voter approval. And the second thing is it restricts and prevents those same governments, local governments and the state government, from keeping and retaining revenues over a certain amount. Uh, That's one of the things that in Colorado we are used to is our Tabor refunds in years when our economy is good. So this measure, as we know it, is initiative number three, would repeal all of that. So let's sort of dive in. We've got a a majority opinion here written by Justice Gabriel. We also have a dissent written by Justice Marquez and Justice Boatwright. So we've got a split here on the court. And David, so tell us, like, what does the majority say? Well, the majority, and and we kind of foreshadowed this a little bit in our previous podcast, the majority ended up adopting um, some language from an opinion a long time ago, and it was actually a dissent from Justice Malarkey, who became Chief Justice Malarkey, in deciding that to repeal Tabor is is different than, say, enacting an affirmative uh, ballot initiative, and that um, what you do when you analyze a repeal of Tabor, like any other ballot initiative, is you um, try to see if it complies with the single-subject jurisprudence here in Colorado, and and the court said that a straight repeal does, as opposed to maybe some partial repeals or or other types that have been um, discussed and uh, subject to opinions um, from the Colorado Supreme Court in the past. Yeah, so where kind of we're at in the procedural posture of this case is the title board heard this ballot measure and had to make a determination, two determinations really, the first threshold determination being whether this measure constitutes a single subject. And if it found, yes, it has a single subject, then it can set title. But if it found no, there's no single subject, no title gets set, and the measure gets rejected. And in this case, the title board, relying on previous jurisprudence, like we had talked about in previous Supreme Court cases that had said Tabor's multiple subjects, and by definition, multiple subjects, there's not a single subject. So the title board in this case rejected this measure, which was then appealed to the Colorado Supreme Court, and the majority, like you just said, adopted 
justice malarkey's sort of vision of and interpretation of Tabor and said and overruled the title board and said, no, we do have single subject here. What, what's interesting here is, one, we have uh, a 5-2 decision, and the five justices in the majority are from opposite wings of, of the court. It was almost as the ends of the court combined to form the five, and the more centrist justices uh, form the dissent. And then second, the court, rather than really trying to say it had come up with some novel new thing, made a very straightforward argument in the uh, majority opinion and said, hey, this is how we always analyze the single subject constitutional requirement uh, for ballot initiatives here in Colorado, and this complies. And as you mentioned in our last podcast, you know, in looking at how single subject is evaluated, you know, you really highlighted the exact two things that the majority relied on in finding single subject. One is that the single subject rule was enacted to prevent incongruous subjects from being in the same ballot measure, and two, that the single subject rule exists so that there's no surprise or fraud on voters by having some aspect of the ballot measure sort of uh, rolled up in the coils of the measure. And here, the majority evaluated both of those two things and basically said nothing could be more straightforward or direct than repeal Tabor, period, end of sentence. And it may be that the the majority said that because Everybody here in Colorado at least has some familiarity with Tabor if they're if they're reading the newspaper or or participating in any type of state or local government and and maybe Tabor's uh, notoriety here in Colorado played a part in that. And you know I think there are two other really important aspects of the majority's opinion before we get on to the dissent. And one is that the majority said this is not an exception. To the single subject rule. Why did the majority say that? And sort of what did they mean when they said that? Well, what came up during the briefing before the title board, uh, when the proponents and the um, objectors um, were, were fighting over this before it got to the Supreme Court, was whether there should be an exception to the single subject requirement for repeals of a measure. In other words, we all know that if you're trying to add something to Colorado statute or the Colorado Constitution, the subject matter needs to be a single subject. Uh, you, you can't have one part of your measure talk about transportation and another part education. And the parties there were at the title board were discussing, well, whether there should be an exception for if you're repealing something. And, and what's interesting is oftentimes that won't happen because, as we know from the single subject, requirement, uh, all new bills here in Colorado, and, and same with ballot initiatives, have to be a single subject. So if you're trying to repeal something, you're repealing a single subject. But here, because Tabor happened to be passed before this single subject came requirement came into a, effect, you, ha- you have this weird middle ground where no one knows whether if you repeal something that's multiple subject, if there should be an exception to the rule, or whether you should just go ahead and try to plow your way through it as you would any other ballot initiative. And so here, the majority was really saying, look, we appreciate and understand that Tabor straddles the single subject rule. It was enacted before the single subject rule applied to ballot initiatives. And now these proponents are trying to extract it or repeal it from our Constitution after the single subject. And the Supreme Court really was saying, we're not voicing an opinion on whether or not any and all measures that were 
enacted sort of in a single vote by voters before the single subject rule are subject to some exception where they can just be repealed in a single measure now. But what they are saying is we're evaluating the language of this measure, and this measure says, shall Tabor be repealed, period? And they're saying that's a single subject. That's right. And and, and that may go back to the point I made earlier that Tabor is well known here in the state. For example, there might be another measure in theory that was passed before um, the single subject requirement that is not as well known in Colorado. And uh, the court could say that the issues that plague multiple subject ballot initiatives might be present there um, in repealing that type of bill. Yeah, I think, you know, one example of that, you know, we certainly haven't seen any proponents file any measures that would deal with it. But, you know, back in the 90s, there was a measure called the Gavel Amendment that was passed, and it did many things. It um, enacted uh, term limits on state legislative offices. It also got rid of what was then the Rules Committee, thus requiring basically every bill that gets introduced to have a hearing and deals with multiple things at the leg- on the legislative front. And, you know, I think to your point, there aren't that many people, except for maybe some political insiders like us, who know what the Gavel Amendment is. That's not the same as Tabor, which is in front of voters and, and citizens sort of all the time when when uh, there's discussions about the constraints on our budget, Tabor is always mentioned. When there's um, discussions about how good the economy is, Tabor refunds are always discussed. So I think that's a really good point and one that's, you know, I think worth extending to maybe making the point that these Supreme Court justices don't live in a cave. I mean, they're reading the newspaper and they're taking some of this stuff into account when they write their opinions. The, the second part of the majority opinion that I wanted to mention, though, before we move on to this dissent, is there was this really clear, there is this really clear language in a previous court case that deals with Tabor that says Tabor's multiple subjects and cannot be repealed um, and in one measure that would constitute a single subject. Can you walk us through a little bit what the distinguishing facts were of that case and how the majority sort of walked that tightrope of really holding that that doesn't apply here. And I, I think walking the tightrope, as, as you mentioned, Sarah, is a really good way of putting it. Uh, so there, there are actually multiple cases, um, but they build off of one case in particular from um, the mid-90s um, that discussed or actually addressed a Tabor ballot initiative that would repeal parts of Tabor and add in new parts. So it had two components, a repealing part and an enacting part. Right. And it wasn't a straight repeal. So it, it, you, you couldn't just say Tabor's gone. It would be parts of Tabor are gone. And what the court did in that, Sarah, was say that that constituted multiple subjects. And, and here, the majority opinions, for the reasons we just talked about, said that that was different. Um, whether that's different or not is something that the majority in the Senate obviously disagreed on. Um, <laughs> in this opinion that we're talking about today. But for purposes of, of the majority's decision, what they said was, okay, well, what we have here is a is a measure that would repeal Tabor in its entirety and not add any new language. That's different. And to the extent that we 
later interpreted that op- previous opinion um, to be a holding or, or some type of binding court precedent, we were wrong. It was dicta, and which means that it didn't have any real part of the reasoning of the, of the opinion. And uh, to the extent that we mischaracterized it in future cases, we were just wrong. Um, so they definitely walked, walked the tightrope there. And then what's funny, Sarah, is, is after they were done walking the tightrope, they, as you indicated earlier, gave some policy reasons showing that they, they don't live under a rock and they know what's, what's happening here in Colorado. Can you talk a little bit about those policy reasons? Well, I think, you know, there's a couple of things. You know, one is that there was an indication by the majority that the rights of citizen initiative is broad. Um, I think we didn't see as much language as maybe you or I would have anticipated that this right of citizen initiative should be broadly construed, liberally construed. There was just sort of a little bit of short shrift that was played to that um, right at the end of the case, out of, of the end of the majority opinion, with kind of a nod being given to, you know, and it's the citizens' right to enact these initiatives, and we should, you know, kind of let that happen. But I mean, in terms of the specifics, well, and, and, and you touched on it, and it is. If we're going to liberally construe um, the right of initiative and the only way to repeal Tabor is through multiple ballot initiatives, each attacking a a specific component, that gets really expensive. And And the judges actually noted that very explicitly. And then they also said that if a ballot initiative repealing Tabor constitutes multiple subjects, then you really can't ever challenge it for the practical reasons that we just talked about. So it's interesting because those pieces, as you mentioned, come at the very end of the majority opinion, but they probably colored the the justices' reasoning throughout uh, the 13 pages that that they wrote. And moving on to the dissent, Justice Marquez, and who was joined by Justice Boatwright, Pretty much, I think it's not overstating it to say they disagreed. <laughs> right. And and ha- having clerked on the Colorado Supreme Court and seen a lot of these opinions, especially ones with dissents, you usually see a long majority opinion and a short dissent. We have a little bit of a different situation here. The dissent's 15 pages and the majority opinion's 13. So obviously, the dissent had quite a bit to say. And uh, I, I think and we were discussing this before we jumped on the podcast, the, probably the most telling bit from the majority opinion happened in the first sentence where uh, where Justice Marquez writes, the majority rewrites history. Yeah, so where the majority opinion said, you know, because Tabor straddles this single subject rule and it was enacted in one measure, but in order to extract it from the Constitution, if we don't rule and hold this way, the citizens and proponents are going to have to do it piecemeal. And that's just too hard. <laughs> Justice Marquez was basically saying, yeah, too bad. That's what voters intended, whether or not they really fully appreciated it or not. Right. And if you look at the legislative history that Justice Marquez cites in, in her dissent, she talks about how the voters should have known, at least, exactly what they were doing when they passed the single subject requirement. And since they did so only a couple years after passing Tabor, uh, they they should have known that in passing the single subject requirement and looking at the blue book that accompanies all types of things voters vote on at, at the election, that that a repeal of Tabor was going to be difficult to impossible moving forward. And from her perspective, and as you mentioned earlier, from the centrist perspective of the court, she and Justice Boatwright are really saying, look, it's not our job to change the will of the voters or to try to interpret it. And majority opinion, that's really what you're doing. The other point that is made very strongly is, although the majority says, 
we are not creating an exception to the single subject rule. The dissent is saying you are creating an exception to the single subject rule. Yeah, and I, I think they do have a point there. Um, as, as we discussed earlier, um, kind of underlying the majority's opinion is the idea that Tabor's something well-known here in Colorado and that repealing Tabor wouldn't lead to the voter surprise and other perils that uh, accompany multiple um, subject ballot initiatives. What Justice Marquez and Justice Boatwright are saying is, well, if you look at what's actually included in Tabor, and and Sarah, you mentioned quite a bit of what's included in Tabor. There's a lot of subjects there. There's a lot of things that voters probably don't know about. There are provisions of of Tabor I I will fully admit I don't know very well myself. And if voters don't really know what they would be doing in repealing Tabor, that's probably going to violate the single subject requirement. It's a little bit of a difference of opinion, but um, there's definitely a point to be made there. Yeah, I mean, one of those additional subjects is that only Tabor-related matters can be voted on in in odd-numbered years versus general election years, the even-number years. You can have ballot measures on any subject. So again, that's sort of another big subject of Tabor that doesn't have anything to do with the taxing and spending power. It has to do with the citizen initiative power. And, you know, the structure of the dissent, as we sort of have alluded to, really starts with single subject requirement applies without exception. And I think you'd have agreement from the majority, although the sense says, but you're creating an exception. And then sort of flows into this idea that Tabor has multiple subjects, which again, I think there's broad consensus that Tabor has multiple subjects. And then, yeah, I think the sort of, you know, one-two punch is sort of that setup followed by Tabor was really the impetus for adopting the single subject rule. And that the, again, sort of to go to the very first sentence of the dissent, the majority is really rewriting history in order to allow this initiative to come before the voters. So thinking a little bit more about timing now, like what does this mean um, from a more practical perspective? So we've got this decision from the court. We know that the deadline to submit signatures for ballot measures to appear on the 2019 ballot, of which this would qualify because only Tabor-related measures can appear in odd number years, and this obviously is a Tabor-related measure. Um, That deadline is August 5th. So there's actually a title board hearing in two days, like on Wednesday. Do you think we're going to see this come before the title board in just two days' time? It, it's certainly possible, Sarah, for it to come before the title board. They they only need to give a, about a day's notice. Um, and if it doesn't come before the title board, it will be the uh, was it first Wednesday uh, of next month. Yeah, I think that's uh, July 3rd, like just before the July 4th holiday. And what does the title board need to do now? So it's got this ruling from the court that initiative number three clears the single subject threshold and hurdle, that it satisfies the single subject requirement, what what is the title board left to do? Uh, as you mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, uh, when, when, you, when ballot uh, initiatives go through the process at title board, um, there, there's two steps. One is, is a threshold determination if, there, if the measure constitutes a single subject. And then the second one is the title board sets a title, which is the usually small phrase at the beginning of the blue book when you're looking at what's actually in the in the ballot initiative because most people actually don't read the full language of the ballot initiative, um, so that that never actually the setting the title didn't happen um, with this measure because the title board said that it it didn't pass the threshold issue of single subject and so it would have to go back to title board and they'll have to uh, come up with a title um, which could be a lengthy process isn't that right Sarah. 
It could be, and it will be interesting to see how this plays out if we end up with a title that's longer than the actual measure, because as you indicated, most measures are very lengthy, and the purpose of the title is to simplify them so that voters, when they read the question on the on the actual ballot, they can just vote yes or no based on sort of a short summary title of what the measure is. But here, the entire measure is just a few like just a handful of words that just says, you know, shall Tabor be repealed, period. So it'll be very interesting to see if the title ends up being more complicated or even longer, I would say, in terms of word count than the actual ballot measure. Right. And then the uh, opponents to the measure or anybody else who's elector in the state of Colorado could challenge the title that the title board comes up with. And that then could go to a rehearing before the title board and, in theory, could go back up to the Colorado Supreme Court. Although, uh, considering the length of the actual ballot initiative, that that does seem maybe less likely than, than the alternative. And certainly from an opponent's perspective, there's a little bit of a stalling technique that could be used by filing a motion for rehearing. The motion for rehearing could always be denied by the title board um, if they feel like the reasons and rationale for the motion are not substantive enough. But you know, even if a motion for rehearing is found, once title set by the title board, even if there's an appeal, the proponents can choose to go out and collect signatures. But again, we are looking at a maybe a month to month and a half to collect signatures. And as we talked about on our previous podcast, it's the requirement this year for this cycle for for ballot measures in 2019 and 2020 is 124,632 signatures. And then for constitutional measures, which this one, of course, would be, there is that raise the bar new threshold that was enacted that is currently pending a Tenth Circuit Court of Appeal, but is currently in effect, which would require that these proponents, in addition to collecting that number of signatures, they have to meet an additional requirement where at least 2% of the total registered electors in each of the state's 35 state Senate districts have to be part of those 124,000-odd signatures. So the threshold is pretty high uh, and is probably going to be expensive, as the majority opinion noted. Um, so we'll, we'll just have to see how this one plays out. That's right. And and, uh, and Sarah, we were talking about this before we jumped on here. Um, there's a chance that the proponents end up deciding that this is better for 2020. So they could always decide that they don't want to put this on the 2019 ballot and either postpone it to 2020 or refile a new ballot measure. Um, we've actually seen over the last couple of weeks a number of new measures filed by these proponents. Now, the proponents didn't have the benefit of this court opinion when they were doing that, but uh, those ballot initiatives that are actually set for 2020 would repeal parts of Tabor and add in new pieces. And just to do a quick plug, you can always look at those, um, uh, the status of those uh, ballot initiatives on our Brownstein Ballot Tracker online. Well, David, thanks for the time this afternoon and, um, you know, really looking forward to continuing our following of this for our listeners as this ballot measure continues to move through the process. It was great talking with you, Sarah. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farbershreck podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.